Welcome back to Sex News with Ray. Two get weekly episodes where I hang out with more friends and talk about sex news and pop culture. Subscribe at patreon.com slash sex news with Ray. I'm here today with Erin, who's an educator, a sexual health educator, a certified yoga teacher, and she loves social justice, hip-hop, reproductive rights, hexing the patriarchy, and extra law. Erin, say hello. What's up? Hello, hello. I'm very excited. Erin and I met when we were in the same sexual health educator program which I know that my listeners are familiar with Larissa by now, and I'm really glad to have you on. Super happy to be here. Today's article is from Psychology Today, and it's called Five Miserable Myths About Sex and Relationships. It's from December 9th, 2021, and I'm just going to briefly tell us what the myths are because, you know, it's pretty obvious, and then maybe we'll backtrack after and discuss how we feel about them. Sound good? Sounds great. Myth one, men and women belong to two separate species who are at war with each other. And then subpoint any two people looking to form a relationship will have differences of personality, not due to their gender, is, is the summary from that. That's why it's myth. Myth number two, there is one right way to begin a relationship where he asks. Myth three, there is one right way to have a relationship. Myth four, there is one right way a sexual interaction must go. And myth number five is there is one way you must be to merit love and sex. So shall we go through them one at a time and we'll each give our perspectives? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So let's go back to myth number one. Men and women belong to two separate species who are at war. Yeah. So um, the fuck? Like the gender binary is so violent. Why are we even still talking about this bullshit? Um, Secondly, it's like more a matter of shared core values, not compatibility. And you cannot attribute one's core values to their gender expression. Yeah, I always found it very funny. My husband and I would read these studies about women tend to be like this and men tend to be like that. And the genders were always swapped. Like everything the men tended to be was me and everything the women tended to be was him. And it had nothing to do with our genitals and everything to do with our personalities. Right. And, you know, but I've noticed that there's a lot of uh, men evolved to be hunter gatherers. And that's why they are more aggressive and women evolved to be more empathetic and take care of children and that's why they handle all the feelings in a relationship but like both genders are equally capable of having complex empathetic conversations and moments of aggression yeah it's not in fact like those things need to be balanced in every person for them to feel balanced and whole um so yeah i just like let's just let's just like not even talk about that myth anymore yeah well that's why like when they summarize any two people looking to form a relationship will have differences of personality so if you're struggling in this conflict, it's not because you're a man and she's a woman. And also that doesn't answer why gay relationships will still have certain dynamic issues. Of like course. if it was really, if this myth was really, you know, or rather if this was really a thing, then there would be no issues in gay relationships or gay men ever. Yeah. It would, would just be, be so like nice. aggressive dudes pounding each other and women just crying and sobbing and never having sex. <laughs> Holy. Okay. Myth number two, there is one right way to begin a relationship and that's where he is asking. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Of course not. Um, but I think it's like really imperative that we get super clear on what it is um, that we want before we enter it. So like, for example, um, I just tried to be like all Cardi B uh, and I'm not. And so like, I'm a bit of a lover and I love loving, but I lie to myself and um, I just pretended that I wanted this like booty call situation it was super hot like so hot and then so of course I I caught some feelings and so did he 
Um, so it evolved into this relationship with like mad feelings, which we sort of appreciated and went with it. But I think because I'd entered it with the intention of it being super casual, uh, it couldn't progress into anything more. And so it exploded into this fucking hot mess. And it reminded me like of my power. My power was being shown to me. So I'd asked for this crazy booty call, hella casual situation, because I was pretending that's what I actually wanted. And so that's what I got, right? And so to, to be like really clear on what it is what we like that we want before we bring it towards ourselves is the only way that we're going to be satisfied within it. And so we're just such powerful beings, and I think we need to remember that. And so when we're looking for something uh, messy, because that's what we actually want, then that's, that's great. But if we're just fucking lying to ourselves about it, then we're going to be like sorely disappointed. Well, I think this goes back to myth number one. There's a stereotype that men just want casual and women uh, don't and will lie to get their way to it. But I've right. noticed that you just mentioned in the story, you both caught feelings. It turns out you were both looking for some sort of, or maybe a deeper connection grew out of this booty call. You had such a strong connection that feelings developed. And, totally. And it has nothing to do with, yeah, anyway. Uh, so total aside. Um, I do think there is still a lot of pressure on men to be the ones who ask all the time. Right. And right. even even the conversation around consent is, well, he has to ask for consent. And it's like everybody has to ask for consent. Even the way that the casual people are talking about consent is that all men are potentially predators and all women are potential victims. Right. And this is because men are the ones who ask and women are the ones who receive and we're the ones who withhold sex. And, you know, there's yeah. if the only right way to begin a relationship is he's the one who texts first. And it feels like a very childish way of game playing. To me. fully yeah you're right it maps onto that first trope of like that heteronormativity and like this just binary that doesn't even exist and around like the rules but we're like you can't look very far without being inundated with those messages of like be chased and don't chase and the, all those sorts of things and all of mm -hmm. these like underwritten rules yeah for sure if you are chasing someone and they are not appreciating your attentions don't date them in right. my opinion yeah. right like like if they're not texting you back and and you want someone to text you back then don't date this person because they will Polly. never text you they will never text you back genders aside fully yeah yeah and then just those like really simple rules of like we teach people how to treat us and so when you're looking for some basic level of respect in a relationship and yet you're willing to like compromise on that because you think it might change in time like you're fucked no like if you're allowing like some kind of like subsequent treatment that isn't what you were hoping for then that's what you're gonna get like that you're making it easy I think when we start relationships, we are like the best, most hopeful new version of ourselves. And we see like you would hope that in this person you are learning new ways of being yourself and like seeing parts of yourself that maybe you didn't know existed because you're in love and it's exciting or like, you know, the potential. And if if the potential just gives you anxiety because they are not texting you back or because like they're upset that you asked first or or that you didn't ask, you know, like that's just already a waste of your time i feel like it might Holy. be doomed to failure yeah if anything's like mad triggering your insecure anxious attachment style like you should not be there right like let let's go yeah and then the um just the idea too that there's like this power imbalance and that that's sexy like this game playing this like cat and mouse and like demand withdrawal like no that shit is fucking toxic and that is going to like burst into flames You're right you that's know? hot after you've negotiated that for your bedroom exactly. but not before that yeah exactly yeah or like i don't know i meet these i met this one guy where where i mean it seemed like he wanted me to be the jealous type right like it felt like he wanted me to be jealous 
And it kind of was like fun for a little bit to pretend to be like to feed into my own jealous tendencies. Mm -hmm. And then there came a point where I was like, but you don't actually care. Why are you behaving this way? And it was I realized that his energy was sort of like requesting that of me. And it was like I was playing pretend. And as soon as I realized that that's not who I wanted to be and that's not even who I am, I was like, nah, this guy's a waste of time. He's not bringing out the parts of myself that I like. Fully. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And then, like, I understand that there's, like, a bit of euphoria wrapped up into situations that feel unsafe, you know? And so, like, there's there's ways in which we seek that out. And But when we're really real with ourselves, we should want to feel, like, unsafe within a cocoon of safety and, like, consenting agreement around, like, the terms of the relationship. But if you're feeling unsafe because someone isn't texting you fucking back, like, yeah, no, no, no. That's not yeah. where you need to be. When I was 23 and met my current husband, we went on a date and this was, you know, I'm a millennial. We didn't text then, like we didn't call each other on the phone that much then either. I'm a right. phone person because my text messaging skills are terrible. Like I've had my sister be like, why are you being rude? And I'm like, pick up the phone and call me. And I read the whole thing back to her with my tone of voice. She goes, yeah, that's not how your text sounded in my head. I'm like, right. exactly. So after our first date, uh, like within 24 hours, he called me on the phone just to say hello. And like he wanted a second date. So he called on the phone to say, hi, I know you're seeing your friends. How is it going? How did it go? And it turns out that he also was not the kind of person to like love long chats on the phone, but he knew that if you wanted to be with this person, you check in, you do these things, you don't play a game. And it was such a relief to be with someone who like, gen. I mean, I was 23. So imagine who my options were at the time. It was so nice to be with someone who was like, okay, expressing interest and knew that wasn't going to detract from the connection. You really want to be with someone. There's nothing wrong with expressing interest in them. Well, and like if he had been expressing genuine interest and you'd pulled away, he probably would have been like, nah, she's not ready for me. Like, I'm not fucking game playing. Like if me pursuing her is somehow some like power imbalance and she's not into that, then like I'm out. Like he knew to not fuck around either. Yeah. It's like he was in a, in a um, I want to say emotionally mature adult. Obviously, we everyone, I think that we all have our moments of mo- emotional immaturity. And like as we were together, I found his moments of emotional immaturity. I had some toxic baggage from previous relationships, but it was like, okay, this is someone who's clearly ready to be in an adult relationship. And that is what I was looking for at the time. And it was nice to be met with that like adult level of when you're an adult, you don't play these bullshit games. Fully. You don't. Yeah. And he probably had it been reversed and had you been one to pursue him because you're like, oh, this dude's dope. Like he wouldn't have pulled back because of this trope of like, oh, she's desperate because she's pursuing me. He would have been like, she's cool and she's confident. Like, that's you know, exactly like, it. Let's just banish that idea of it needs to look one way. Right. And I am confident. So if he had had a problem with that, we wouldn't be together. If he For had sure. been secretly like felt emasculated or worried or anything. But like he's the kind of person who loves uh, being hit on because there's no confusion Right. One of the joys of being the person who gets hit on is, you know, this person is interested and you don't need to guess. And I like straight men appreciate that, too. That's so true. That directness is underrated. Shall we move on to myth number three? Yeah, do it. There is one right way to have a relationship. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? I'm going to lay it out for you. You Let's hear it. Boy meets girl. Uh Uh-huh. They go on dates. They kiss. Yes. They enter some sort of commitment and then they have sexual intercourse, uh, penetrative, and she comes from the joining of their penetration. Mm -hmm. And so does he in tandem. And then they date, they meet the parents, they move in together at some point, Mm -hmm. they share their household bills with a joint bank account, they get married, uh, their whole family is invited, they have children, maybe they own a home, they retire and they die holding hands like in the notebook, the end. Yeah, you, you nailed it. 
Um, I think you did forget one small piece though, which was like in the initial courting scene, um, there needs to be like some kind of conflict where he suddenly questions um, maybe his worth of pursuing such an incredibly uh, like virginal goddess. And so there's a little bit of like contention for a while, but then he wins her back over. Um, so like, don't miss that like climactic scene so that there's like a little bit of struggle um, because she doesn't, you know, she's resisting of sex because she doesn't like it ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so then like he needs to convince her that that she should absolutely have penis and vagina sex with him um, mm -hmm. for the rest of her life. So Right. Yes. And yeah. only each other. And there will yeah, be no others. Because, and you will not even look for someone else because, you know, your, your wandering eye goes away as soon as you are in love. You're so satiated. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. nothing else. Yeah. Friendships um, fall away except for the sassy best friend who... Anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. The single, the single bridesmaid who gets a little too tipsy. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Um, fuck you. You are a writer. Like you've just, I think like Hallmark has missed their chance at getting all of the new Christmas movies this year through your skilled penmanship. So um, yeah, this heteronormative fucking bullshit has seeped into all of our lives though. Like there are these rules around what relationships look like. And I struggle with this all the time because one of my best friends is a man and he's like a stone cold killer babe of a man. Like and in the past, we've lived together for years, and we've never banged. Like, never even moved into any kind of, like, curious direction towards a sexual relationship ever. And we're both, we're both heterosexual, and we both, like, have eyeballs and genitals. So, like, naturally, these things, like, quite often happen. Um, but, like, people don't believe us. There's no one in our like, community that thinks. like, how could two such hotties not be fucking? Yeah, for sure. Like, you live to, you love each other. You live to, no, no, no. There's just no fucking way. And so there's like, there's no trust in the diversity of relationship. And so, like, we, we just started letting people believe. We're like, fuck, fine. Like, let them think it. Like, um, but our love is just so strong and so familial. And I get to keep him for life. Like, there's, we can't fuck this up. Like we're because literally friends. homies. Yeah. We're friends forever. And like, I actually like adore his fiance. Like I got a best friend through a best friend and she's dope as fuck and she gets it. But like people don't understand that there's like two straight people who aren't who are hooking up. Friends. Yeah. Well, that's, that goes back to their own preconceived notion. Cause I mean, even if we look at that story that I just told, like, as we know, there's a lot of queer relationships, non-binary people who don't ascribe to male or female, right? Like that's, there's so many other ways to have it. There's polyamory. There's, I don't know, um, throuples is like a whole other thing. I mean, sure. one of the big struggles with, I think, the like swinger lifestyle or poly lifestyle community is there's no positive examples of what this can look like. Right. And they're like, there's no legalities around, you know, like what happens when like there's this, this um, putting the couple on a pedestal, the relationship of two is on a pedestal. And, you know, the marriage is above all. And it completely ignores, like, the the platonic best friend relationships. And, like, and, you know, if my husband dies, I'm moving in with my best friend. Obviously. You know, like, that's how it's going to work. And, like, she and I are, like, spouses in some of the ways that we interact. And that is just an equally valid relationship, even if it's not a romantic relationship or a sexual. Or maybe it's romantic without the sexual. I don't know. We don't kiss. Yeah. But we're, like... Right. There's something like inherently romantic about the deep bond of two best friends who spend their lives together and are roommates and have all their Fuck meals yeah. together and build community. And like all of those are other kinds of relationships that are totally valid. And it's it's kind of sad that we only treat one kind as a relationship of value. 
Right. And when we look at that relationship too, like, I don't know why we're still holding it up with such reverence and admiration because like, we're fucking terrible at those relationships as well. Like, I don't know why this idea of coupledom is held in such high regard because we're not good at that. We're not good at that. And like, I remember when my best friend had her baby and I was living with her, she came in one day when I was in the rocking chair, like reading to the baby. And she was just like, you're fucking Maddie's dad. You know, and I was like, yeah, I am. Right. And like just recognizing that the energy around those kinds of relationships matters much more than the label. And so yeah. like, um, yeah, this hetero fucking cu binary couplehood thing is like, oh, it's so outdated. And if we're holding that on a pedestal, we have really low expectations. Right. I don't know about you and your background, but like I live in a city Well, I live in the biggest city in Canada and people make fun of me for that when they don't live in my city. I'm like, it just is. It is the biggest city. It's a fact. I'm not saying we're better. We kind of can be, but only because nothing closes here and you can get takeout at any time. And that's pretty uh, fucking great. Yeah. Right. Like in my opinion, that's great. I don't want to give that up. But my in-laws all live in like the surrounding greater Toronto area, like around farmland. And whenever they're like, you know, you could own a home if you moved out here. And I'm like, and give up my life. Right. They're like, but we have gyms here. I'm like, you do not have my community. You don't have exactly. my friends. Guelph yeah. doesn't have my friends in my community. And so I am not willing to go buy a house and settle down and maybe have some kids if it means giving up everything that brings me joy. Right. But they're, you're, they're so uncomfortable with that because you're at like stage seven of their relationship itinerary, right? Like their trajectory. And they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Like you, you have all these other boxes checked. Like what's the delay on the next one? Right. Right. And it's like, maybe we're not always on a quest to check boxes. Maybe we're just like, what I, I mean, yeah, Alex and I, Alex is the name of my husband for, I know some, some people know that, but I, you know, name names a lot. Anyway. So Alex and I were talking about how people who have kids will come up and say like, you do not understand true love or true fulfillment until you've had a child. And he's like, that is so nice for them. They right. just want us to feel this level of joy and fulfillment that they have with their child. Right. And I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's a very generous way of thinking about it. That like, right. someone who just wants you to feel this true joy that they experience. And I'm like, yeah, but I've seen those studies on sleep deprivation. And I've seen those studies comparing perceived joy versus actual joy. And child-free couples have more joy in their lives and more freedom and are better rested and and more autonomy than people who have a kid right and we just as a society don't value those couples that choose not to have kids if you're going to be together forever why wouldn't you well and this is that interesting thing like you're right those are that was a very diplomatic way of alex to put it like very generous because i get it's like a little fucking cringy when people are doing this recruitment like with any kind of like religiosity or any ideology that people are like hey i so firmly believe in this thing but i need you to believe in it too you know, and I'm like, what? No, if you are deeply connected on some level to something you believe in, you don't need anyone else to understand it. So why are you always knocking on my fucking door? Like, I just, it's so same thing. Like if you're that content with your parenthood, your transition to parenthood, like then you don't have to flex that. You're just going to like be overjoyed in your own precious life and let, let me do mine. Right. So yeah. I don't know that level of recruitment, I think means like it only brings validity if people believe it alongside you. Yeah. I do think though that our societal structures definitely encourage the one right way. Like the yeah. wedding industry, the fact that you can only marry one person at a time. Not saying that like we should just, you know what I mean? Like when you say that people are like, oh, so everyone should just be allowed to get married with each other. And I'm like, to be honest, my joint, joining my bank account with Alex's felt like a bigger relationship step than actually signing a piece of paper. Like that really? was the marriage, joint yep. bank account. Like we live in a capitalist society. How we merge or don't merge our finances in my mind is like a big move and a big decision. And uh, the way that our systems are in place, or you can only do that with one person, really. Right. You can't merge with more than one. 
I remember being in my early 20s and like a boyfriend wanted to get uh, like, a, I don't know, some kind of like duet like cell phone contract it was three fucking years long and i remember like my hand shaking when i signed the paperwork i'm like this, this fucking cell phone is like the promise ring of the future like jesus christ like do i have three years with this homie like i don't fucking know now i'm this... locked in i'm gonna have to buy it out like yeah locked into the family plan do i even see you as family yeah right Ooh. yeah no it's um you're right within the societal structures it's it's geared towards that one that one yeah. form of relationship for sure I do really like everyone sharing their like, you know how, how we used to have like TV channels and then we had like the one streaming service, Netflix, and now we have all these other streaming services and you have to have multiple channels again. I yes. do really love everyone just sharing their passwords with each other. Like all of a friend being like, yeah. I've got a Crave subscription. Anyone got a Disney plus for me? Let's do a swap. And you end up with like all of your friends on your accounts and you only have to pay for one. And right? that to me is also the new way of forming relationship. Yeah. Poly, poly it up. And it's like a little bit of Marxist woven into it too, right? It's like, no, one for all. Like, fuck this. Let's have yeah. some egalitarian movie sharing here. Right, exactly. I, yeah. Okay, should we move on to myth four? Let's hear it. There is one right way a sexual interaction must go. Would you like to tell the story of this one or should I tell the story oh, again? Please, please. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, woman says... No, but with her body language, says yes. Mm -hmm. Man automatically intuits she down. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. He shows up. It's nighttime. There might have been a tiny bit of alcohol involved, enough that everyone's feeling wild, but not so much that people are passing out because rape isn't sexy. Um, they do a great, a great night where, uh, you know, they don't need to communicate. They just know everything that's going to happen and it happens well. The kissing is fantastic. Not once. Does she need to give a direction because he knows exactly how to please her and vice right. versa? Once mm -hmm. again, they orgasm in tandem as he penetrates her. Mm -hmm. um, there is absolutely no cleanup. Right. <laughs> and there's, there are no fluids to worry about. They do not need to shower after. No one needs to wipe anything. No condoms break. In fact, we don't even need a condom because everyone's on the pill and there are no STIs. Right. Um, and then after it's done, they lie in bed. They look at each other and go, wow, that was the best sex I've ever had. And that is always the kind of sex they always have. The end. Yeah. Again, like, I don't know. You should cast Hugh Grant in your next movie. I've got the uh, millennial or not. I don't want to say millennial, but I've also got like the, two, the, the 2020 version, which is um, he chokes her. She likes it. They did not negotiate it in advance. He did not do anything wrong when it happened. She comes while she's choking. Wow, right. he's so good. <laughs> That's like yeah, and the, this is the, all, the current. It's all amendment. about six minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. It's actually two hours, but it's just penetration and choking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Vaginal <laughs> penetration. Vaginal. Please be yes. clear. Mm -hmm. No, anal is is uh, for sluts. Right. Yeah. And good um, luck to him. Yeah. She pulls out the strap on. Oh, and she does not own any toys. No vibrators necessary. No. no clitoral stimulation at all. She just comes from the penetration. And if she is as wild as um, the outliers are, she may masturbate, but only with her fingers while she thinks of him in mm -hmm. missionary position. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she definitely doesn't have a pillow that she humps or any awkward positions. And... Never. Okay. Just a question. Okay. You know how like guys have to pull out their dick to masturbate or sorry, people with a penis have to pull it out to masturbate. Yeah. Unless they've got like the trench coat or the towel and like then they still can't like, you know. They just kind of text me. I personally really enjoy the fact that I don't need to take any clothes off to get off. I can literally just do it fully dressed, get off, and go on with my day. Fully. 
like Which, vibrator like, over the jeans and you're fine oh and it just like really opens up the places that it can happen too right yeah like I don't know what the climate is like right now in Toronto but like yo it's kind of nice to stay warm when you're like outside and yeah yeah you get under some the covers or like you know you have five minutes before you have to leave and you're kind of horny and you've decided that you don't want to wait and you don't even have to get dressed again I know anyway. maybe we are like messier peeing standing up but there are some fucking benefits to the vulva yes and everything being external that that we need for pleasure mm-hmm. which is lovely Mm-hmm. yeah anyway yeah so I guess I mean that was obvious there's not one right way for sexual interaction no it is as like weird and diverse as we are like it's fucking beautiful the thing is we need to talk about it yo right like that of course it always comes down to that like if you are not compatible with your lover you're going to run into challenges and so potentially you find someone who isn't as explorative as you in some certain areas and is open to that or maybe they're not but then you're going to have to find out that compatibility um, if that matters to you right and so you got to get, if you're going to get freaky, you're going to have to talk about it. Well, this is why you became a sex educator, is it not? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, although you're in the school system, so you're trying to do yeah. big organizational change. Yeah. Basically, uh, I became a teacher because this, uh, I just need to burn it all down. Um, it's a slower it's a slower process than one would hope for. So it's, it's frustrating. Um, there's some progressive, lovely things happening, but it's also still a very harmful system. It's super oppressive and it's crazy colonial. And so, of course, the worst component of our education is our sexual health. And so I think that empowering youth with the kind of choices that they deserve to know are theirs is going to change um, from the, the roots up, right? And so that's where I'm kind of hitting it. Um, but I do like, you know, there's education for adults woven into that, of course, because it's just like when someone pays to get their dog trained, they're like actually just training the owner of the dog to like not be a, not be a dick. Right. And so it's the same thing. Like it's about community healing and community learning. So yeah, it's woven into lots of elements in the community I live in right now, but yeah, getting youth like totally empowered with choice, um, is really important. I wish I had more opportunities to inter uh, to interact with youth and empowerment. And I actually received like two text messages this week alone from teenagers I worked with when I worked at the youth group. And they were all like, hey, I just saw this note from you. It meant a lot to me. Or, hey, you remember that you made me this Pinterest board for uh, clothes as like clothes inspiration for when I was trying to find my style? Yeah, it turns out that it's been years and it directly inspired how I dress now. And Aww. I was just like, that is so cute and so sweet. And I really wish I was allowed to work with teenagers, but I am not because I'm a professional public slut. Yeah. And, like, and we just, and, and it's, that's also why I became a professional public slut because I am not allowed to work with teens because I'm a professional public slut. Like I'm not sleeping with teenagers. Exactly. Right. And yet we and, cannot differentiate. And it's really, it's really wild too. Cause when we look at like the broadness of education, giving more opportunities in general, why it's limited to sexual health is so bizarre to me. Like, um, I don't know if you've studied like the philosophy of pornography at all, but like there's so many different arguments around it, of course. And I remember this one article I read, it was basically the spectrum of, of feminism on pornography. And so the two, the two varying binaries were like the Andrea Dworkins that were like all pornography is rape culture. It's all harmful. There's no actual consent. It's all coerced. It's harmful to women. It needs to be abolished in its entirety. Like there's that argument. And then there's more liberal feminists like Wendy McElroy and such that would say um, you are you need to be grateful for the spectrum and the diversity of pornography in the world, even if it doesn't align with your own values, because every time a woman, someone who identifies as femme, chooses something for themselves, it opens up that choice to you. 
And then you are allowed to resist that choice and recognize it's not for you, but because somebody else has embodied it, it's something you may have never considered before and it gives you permission to also want to explore that. And so we need to be grateful for all of this pornography that may or may not align with our own values. And so when you get to act that way in the world, you're giving youth permission to look at different modalities of their sexual identity, right? And so even if you're not a directly allowed to work with youth, you are still inspiring them because they will have access to you just not within the institution of education. And yeah. so we have to continually break down those barriers and we need you to be coming in and speaking to youth. But until then, just know that your force in the world is still accessible to them. Thanks. And I mean, Instagram is free. Yeah, so right. For that's sure. why I do a lot of stuff for free on the internet. Nice. And anything I'm worried about uh, getting in trouble for is behind a workshop paywall. So if you've paid to... Which I wonder, like, so Marissa and I have been teaching workshops together. I don't know if you heard or saw on social media. You probably did. Yes. But we've been doing a lot of, like, workshop building and teaching them together. And one thing we were trying to determine is do we allow people from the age of 16 and up to take our workshops? Because 16 is the age of consent. Mm -hmm. Or does it have to be 18 and up because of the, you know, legal adult everything? And we basically said, let's do 18 as cover your ass policy. But right. if a 16-year-old wants to take our contraception workshop, we're not going to stop them. If a 16-year-old no. wants to take a workshop on STIs, we're not going to stop them. If a 16-year-old tries to take our pleasure and empowerment course, we might say you have to be 18 to take that one. Because, you know, we go over pornography and um, we cannot be seen as promoting certain graphic sexual imagery to, you know, under right. 18. But, but, like, I mean, and yeah, I guess, like, that's the slippery... Uh, component around like are are you like inspiring people or like encouraging them to consume pornography and then you're seen as as um, you know distributing it yeah that could be messy but if we're talking about pornography there's no too young an age to talk about it like consuming ethical porn let's like like yeah. why are we waiting until people can purchase it legally which they're not they've already been doing for years then illegally anyway like I don't know I think if you can tailor the workshop to be about um, empowering choice and not necessarily like giving them the link to your OnlyFans, right? Like, no, I think no. there's we definitely, yeah. but we do we do talk about ethical porn and we talk about shopping local, which is OnlyFans. Um, yeah, no, we do talk about all of those different things, and it could be seen as encouraging people to look it up because we do link to these ethical porn sites in our workshop resources. So we right. just, you know, it, even though we know that sixteen year olds are consuming pornography, and we know that sixteen year olds should know how to do it ethically, but socially I don't want to get in trouble and legally we don't want to get in trouble you know even though we shouldn't for either of those reasons like if the age of consent is 16 then the age of consent is 16. I get that and trust me like my I'm my hands are tied so frequently within the institution that I work right and it's just part of it's part of the balance of like making small changes and breaking things down and reforming it but doing so within the existing structure so that I don't get fired right like yeah. I have I have mandated um, professional conduct, which I must, you know, um, abide by. And that's really limiting and really stifling. And yet, if I actually want to be making change and impactful change, it needs to be done within that existing structure. So it's it's frustrating, but I think you're smart to, to cover your ass before you uncover your ass. Yeah, which I want to add. I am not advocating for having sex with 16-year-olds as adults. Like, I genuinely have huge issues with, like, adults who think 18 is adult enough like when I say adults I mean like 30 year olds 40 year olds were like 18 is legal so it's okay I right. have some personal issues with that but if you are legally able to have sex you should legally be able to have access to pleasure focused sex ed absolutely and that's not saying you go to a class and you learn how to give a blowjob that's learning about how to have a sex in a way that promotes like uh you know deep 
thinking about your feelings about it and knowing your own body and respecting other people's bodies. Like pleasure-focused sex ed isn't necessarily, here's how to give a blowjob. It's, do you want to be giving one in the first place? Fully. I agree with that so wholeheartedly. And being able to stand in your own autonomy and sovereignty around your body in terms of knowing what it is you want and then being able to ask for it, right? Boundary set, like boundary setting, consent, like that's got to be the heart of all of it. The intentions around why we feel the need to engage in these activities to start with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Keep doing it. Just keep, just keep, you know, setting it up and um, maybe we can start destigmatizing these kinds of things more and more and getting access to, I think it would change lives, right? Like if we had had that kind of pleasure focused, holistic, um, positive experience when we were when we were 16 you know like we might we might have a few different we might have had less healing to do right yeah and I even think about how we learned about relationships and and abuse right and and thinking about at the age of 16 yeah of course we learned about like oh this is what an abusive relationship looks like but we didn't learn about how um that there can be abusive dynamics in a relationship and unlearning patriarchal heteronormative relationship expectations and how so many of those can create manipulation in a relationship when people are paying into those and you know I just wanted one of the reasons I wanted to go into sex ed is the same reason I decided to work at a youth group which is I wanted things to be easier for teenagers than they were for me and I don't you know I know it's not up to me if something is easier or harder for someone but every small thing we can do to make the future better for the next generation and in my mind that's sex ed and I think in yours it's probably similar but you keep being uh you know fight the systems enjoy anarchy yeah (laughs) fully fully all right myth number five there is one way you must be to merit love and sex okay like what fucking intern got asked to write this article like didn't you say it was 2021 like oh can you please myth bust all this bullshit from the 50s like why is this an article that got published well one thing that i hear all the time still to this day is how can you love someone else if you don't love yourself Right. And my friends with depression are like, that's bullshit. I'll never love is. myself. I have depression. <laughs> but that's still a thing they hear all the time and a thing that's being passed on the internet all the time. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's um, that's pretty common, common dialogue, yeah. And I would agree that that's not a true statement for everybody, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess same thing with the other stories. You do not need to be one way. You do not need to be a whole complete person to be deserving of love or sex. No, if anything, hopefully – like relationships are mirrors, right? No matter what the dynamic um, and they illuminate to us what it is we still need to heal, like what our triggers are, um, our core values. And so hopefully we draw someone towards us that's there to help us do our healing, like parallel with them doing their healing, right? And whatever that looks like, that doesn't look, that doesn't have to look like uh, a tandem codependent relationship. But um, I think that anticipating that someday you're healed, you're at the summit and then you're like ready for your partner You'll live a very lonely life. Yeah. And you need, if you're going to try and build a future with someone or build a life with someone, you can't be a finished person because then there's no more building and there's no more growth and there's no more evolving with this person. Although I want to add, if I was going to change this myth, it's there's one way you must be to merit love and I would say sexual pleasure, not sex. Because no one deserves sex, but I think we are all deserving of sexual pleasure, if that is what we want. Yeah. Which I think leads into a myth that you yourself hate the myth of love or self-pleasure being secondary to partnered sexual activity right well you just I mean and we've all bought into it and there's a lot of humor that's used to expose this myth but you often see like if somebody doesn't get the girl can't take her home 
um, isn't able to like fulfill their sexual fantasy with this person, then they go home and masturbate, right? Then there's this idea of like, oh, I hope you have a lot of batteries in your fucking nightstand because like you're single right now. And so there, it's like this secondary sort of um, second place prize, right? Like that partnered sex is somehow better than. Um, and I would just like, I would just want to argue that that's of course not even remotely true. Um, some folks of course are only going to want to have self-pleasure and never have partnered sex. Um, and that I don't think you can have really great partnered sex until you have built a really solid sexual relationship with yourself. And so that self, self-pleasure self needs to be primary and not secondary too. That's very well put. I have nothing to add because that was so lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Get it on. Get it on with yourself and then you know what you want and then you know like how to potentially um, yeah, read and intuit other people's experiences as well and yeah, there is definitely this uh, stereotype that when you are in a relationship, you no longer need or want to masturbate as if they right. are, as if one replaces the other. Totally. And like, I just think also we just need to be so fucking entranced and captivated with our own damn selves, right? Like I'd wife the shit out of me, you know, and I know that because I spend a lot of time alone and I spend a lot of time like turning myself on. And so... Um, you know, you need to like sexily seduce yourself with your own cooking, with your own dancing, like with your own journal writing, your tequila sipping, whatever it is, so that you know what it feels like alone so that you can create that dynamic in partnership or with multiple partners, right? Well, I'm thinking about all of the things about me that I like that I think are cool. Like I'm a fucking latex designer. If, yeah, yeah. If like a guy doesn't think that's cool, I say being a straight woman, like he can go fuck himself. That's pretty fucking fantastic. But don't objectify me for it. But also, like, you better, like, you know what I mean? Like, I have a skill set that's useful in the fetish scene. What's sexier than that? No doubt, right? And you have to know that about yourself. And, like, you get to know those things about yourself through building a relationship with yourself. And part of that relationship with self is sexual. Unless you, of course, would prefer it not to be. But Yeah. So we're going to take a short break for a commercial. And we'll be back in 30 seconds. Great news, everybody. Did you miss one of the past workshops that I ran on STIs or even down the rabbit hole on pleasure and empowerment? Marissa and I are going to be rerunning our workshop as well as two new ones on a pretty much ongoing monthly basis. Head to sharewithbray.com slash events to check out when our workshops are available and more information. We are back. Are you ready for our listener question? Hit it. How important is dirty talk when pleasing your partner? Hmm. Um, it's probably only as important as you and your partner make it out to be, right? So that's pretty subjective. Um, if you love it, then it's going to be a really important thing for you to explore with your partner or partners, right? Um, I feel like alignment with the kind of dirty talk you desire would matter more than if it's present or not. Uh, and dirty talk can be a really sexy way to continually gauge consent and a really hot way to check in with like what the other person wants. Uh, but if someone's uh, like opposed to it, then like you can't force that. And if that's something that's going to be a compatibility issue in your sex life with that person, you're going to have to address it. The only thing I would add, you said it very well. You hit everything I would have said. The only thing I'm going to add is if you are expecting dirty talk from your partner, but you yourself cannot do it, maybe you have to right. do a little bit of self-reflection. Maybe you need to do some practice. Maybe you should determine like what what it is that you yourself are looking for from that person and see if you can offer it to them or see what kind of things they want to hear. Have a conversation about what you both like to hear in your dirty talk. If your partner's like, 
dirty talk makes me want to laugh when I hear it. So just say yes and oh my God, you're amazing. Then that's fine. But right. definitely, I mean, don't expect something from your partner that you yourself are not even able to do. You know, work on it together if it's something you both want to work on. And I can think back to like a few times that I've had someone say something where like you, I fucking like spewed, like it's so hilarious, like in the moment. And it like brings a level of like playfulness and joy into the bedroom too. Cause you're like, Oh fuck, we've been taking ourselves really seriously. Like that was ridiculous. Like, and now you're like belly laughing and then it just changes the whole vibe too. So there can be times when like making, taking risks and making mistakes with dirty talk can end up being better. I'm also a huge fan of like role play dirty talk. Like even if mm-hmm. you're like not putting on outfits and not doing anything, but like you're very much like I'm a pirate and uh, you are my person I've kidnapped. And you just try and dirty talk as if you're a pirate and the person you're kidnapping. And it's silly and fun, but also kind of hot, <laughs> you know, and right. you can just sort of like imagine while you're having sex and then you just want like let it go as soon as it stops being entertaining for both of you. But you get oh to say God, really I funny things because sex is supposed yeah. to be fun. Totally. It's a playground, right? And that's like, we've had that taken from us with like the seriousness of, of all these tropes we see. And like, it's, yeah, it should be joyous and like, you know, centered in pleasure and lightness and fun. Right? Yeah. Well, Erin, thank you for coming today. You're going to be with us next time as well. Where can people follow you? Well, um, I keep my social media super tight because unfortunately teachers must remain Puritans who only have missionary sex through a hole in the sheet in the dark of matrimony. Um, However, if you would like to follow me and I may decide that you are allowed to, you can follow me on Instagram at salt and fable. Perfect. Thank you so much. Join the Deviants Defining Elite and all of our communities. Patreon.com slash Ray. Big thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at SexNewsWithRay. Submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email ray at sharewithray.com or DM me at WifeBayRay on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter and TikTok with that same username and Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh T Films and is hosted at sexmoveswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blink and Brilliant and our logo is by Dolly Shop Photography. 